Welcome to Fresh Take, your favorite weekly podcast that delivers a healthy dose of information pertaining to healthy lifestyles, organic and sustainable agriculture, and numerous topics related to the environment. Thanks for tuning in. Our industry experts are here to provide you with a fresh take on topics that can help you optimize your lifestyle and well-being. On today's episode of Fresh Take, we have very special guests with us. I'm so excited to have Bob Quinn, who is the author of Grain by Grain, and Mark Ketchell, who is one of the founding members of Ford Organic Growers and Consumers. Welcome to both of you. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Yes, I'm so happy to have you here. So, Bob, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm an organic farmer, from regenerative organic farmer, I like to say, of over 30 years. I'm from Montana, living on a uh, wheat and cattle ranch that has been the family f- Next year, we'll celebrate actually our 100th anniversary. Wow, that's impressive. Started by my grandfather. And it's where I was raised and where I raised my kids. And 30 years ago, we started experimenting with organic. And uh, I was an instant convert and never looked back. And I'm still experimenting with how to make it better, actually. Beautiful. I also have Mark Ketchell here today. Like I said, he's one of the founding members of FOG. So he's going to co-host with me. I'm super excited about that. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself as well? Well, I uh, planted my first organic field here in Gainesville in 1972. Okay. I was way before certification was uh, was a big deal. Right. And then went right on through. Of course, we founded Fog in, in 1988. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I was one of the principals in writing the uh, the organic standards for the state of Florida. Right. And then uh, on the national level, we, we wrote that. And that was a big deal for us at that time. So yeah, I'm farming all over the world. I'm not really putting my hands in the dirt as much as working with my growers in South America. Bob works on the Northern Hemisphere. I work in the Southern Hemisphere and we're trying to merge the two. Beautiful. Once you get bit by the organic bug, you just can't stop. You can't. (laughs) I'm living proof as well. That's That's very, very true. Like I said, I'm super excited to have both of you here to talk to our listeners today about your journey in the organic industry. I guess a lot of people see you as an organic pioneer and a social activist. I know that you probably don't see yourself that way, but that's kind of the way people are looking at it. How do you feel about that? (laughs) Well, it depends what topic you're talking about. (laughs) If you're talking about um, changing the world, yes, that's what I'm here for. Are you talking about eating better? Yes, that's what I try to encourage people to do. Farming better? Yes, that's what I try to... um, perfect in our place or improve it as much as we can and then share that with anyone who would like to hear about it. Wonderful. So one of the things that uh, you're here um, in Gainesville, fortunately, boy, this is a fantastic opportunity, is to share a little bit about your book that you've just written, which is Grain by Grain. And I uh, really like to ask you, like, what is, what has been, what was the driver? What made you write that book? What, what was the message that you had you wanted to share? Well, Mark, I think I wrote the book because it was a lifetime of experiences I wanted to share and not just have it be, um, disappear when I disappear. Because I've had a lot of things that have happened to me that changed my whole attitude toward agriculture and toward food that I wanted to share with other people. I think that we have a very serious case of having the wrong focus in this country. Our focus is on cheap everything, and and cheap food is one of the main drivers of lots of problems. There's a very, very high cost for cheap food, 
And nobody t- thinks about that because they only think about what they pay at the cash register when they check out. And then they go home and they start paying all the rest of their life for that cheap food at the doctor's office. The farmers are paying for it. They go broke because we don't get enough to cover our expenses with this cheap food policy. The government in the past has tried to supplement that with um, at least to the large commodity growers uh, with huge government payouts. That doesn't go to everybody, unfortunately. Although I don't think it should go to anybody. I think that's the wrong way to finance our agriculture, not through government subsidies, but for people paying for high quality and demanding high quality that not only fills their belly, but nourishes their body. And this is what we try to do. I love that. I absolutely love that. And I guess it goes back to the old saying, you truly do get what you pay for. Well, that's right. And uh, if we want to um, change the focus and really focus on covering the costs of uh, polluting the earth, we can reduce that by uh, regenerative organic agriculture. We can um, cover the costs of declining rural America by pumping money into fair prices for farmers and farm workers who then can support local communities, and therefore we don't have the demise or the decline of local communities. And so it's a system where really everybody can win. In the end, the consumer wins the most because they're the ones that are going to benefit through health and nutrition. Absolutely. And even though they don't see it at the, at the checkout counter, they can see it in their kids. You can see it in the absence of terrible um, ravish of diseases we're seeing now, of chronic diseases, all the way from autism to heart disease and diabetes. And, and the type of things that we can no, not long afford if we continue to grow with this direction that we're going now. I see a lot of di- digestive diseases on the rise as well, um, just from the foods that we eat with Crohn's and, uh, and a lot of other things. They're all linked. All those things are linked to um, inflammation. Right. And inflammation is a big cause of, of these, uh, perpetuating these problems. And that's coming as part of the high price we're paying for cheap food and, and chemical agriculture. It's coming with a lot of things that really promote and um, add to inflammation in the body. That's a great point. Yeah, what we're talking about, we like to use the word nutrient-dense food. And now, you know, I mean, 30 years ago, we, we were not able to quantify or prove what we all knew just from taste and from our own personal experience that organic food actually is higher quality nutritionally. And now we actually have science behind it. Right. We now know that growing something the way Bob's talking about growing it is going to be more nutrient-dense and that's what people need. Right. I mean, most of the diseases that we have in America today are caused by what we eat. And it's a result of cheap food. Right. And so we need to change the paradigm. So we're trying to get the conversation going about how to do that. Right. Bob has developed over his 30 years a whole systems approach. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're trying to share with people. And that's what he's written so beautifully and, and just beautifully graphically in his book, Grain by Grain. One thing that we really try to uh, focus on is what our main crop is wheat. Right. And as everyone knows, um, 20% of the population in this country at least can no longer eat wheat. Right. And um, when you look at the history of wheat, you see that this is the grain that built the great civilizations of antiquity. Sorry, the Babylonians and the Egyptians and the Greeks and the Romans and uh after thousands of years, all of a sudden, um, people can't eat it, so something has changed. And I tell people there's many things that have changed. It's just not people think, oh, it's a gluten. Well, it's way, way more than just a gluten. Right. It's first of all the way we grow the grain. That's right. It's how we bread it to produce cheap food. 
high rising bread or quick rising bread, right. um, which has changed the gluten. So that is part of it. How we are refining the food and making white flour now and uh, throwing away the, the best third or the most nutritious third, including the bran um, and the germ that uh, we now give to the pigs. The pigs are eating better than we are. And this isn't really quite <laughs> the, uh, the reason it was created. I don't think it's the way nature intended it at all. And of course not. And so there's little wonder that so many people are having trouble eating wheat now. And for those that, that do have problems, they're not celiac. Celiac is a gluten intolerance. It's 1% of the population is plagued with this problem. But And they've gone a little bit over the top. But those 20% or 19% that are left with wheat sensitivities, if they'll follow four real simple things that uncovered in research that we've done in the last 10 years and we published 31 peer-reviewed journal articles that you can look go to our website commute.com and check out if they would buy organic if they would buy whole grain if they would buy ancient or heirloom grains of wheat and if they would buy eat sourdough if they would do those four things probably there would be 90 to 98 percent of the uh, problems would be gone that's really interesting to know i mean that, that's a Critically important, but very, very simple formula. Absolutely. For health, wellness, and natural living the way we were intended. It's like Bob points out constantly, you know, we're doing this experiment of the last, what, 50 years of what the, what they call, they call it an alternative. Well, uh, it's actually... Go ahead, Bob. You, you follow <laughs> up on that one. Well, uh, you're, you're driving to a point that I yeah. bring up all the time when people talk about conventional agriculture. Right. And I said, conventional agriculture is actually what we've been doing for the last 10,000 years. Right. That's conventional. Right. What we have going now in the last 70 years since World War II, essentially, II. Mm -hmm. is a great American, and now it's worldwide, chemical experiment with agriculture. And I'll tell you, the wheels are starting to come off of the carriage on this. We've got uh, pollutions everywhere with pesticide residues on our food just everywhere. We have glyphosate in our rain yes. from Roundup. Yes. It's raining on our farm from uh, glyphosate contamination. We have a, a dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico the size of New Jersey. How, how big does it have to get before we start wondering if we're going in the right direction? We have resistant weeds to herbicides now. And they say, oh, don't worry, we'll just have another herbicide that'll overcome that. We have acid soil in Montana, which is known as a semi-arid area where there's only alkaline soils. But we've put so many chemicals on this soil that now we have acid zones. And if we have acid zones, you're releasing heavy metals like aluminum that can go into the wheat and uh, do brain damage. It's a very serious problem. And so the chemical answer to that is the climate. So they want to solve a problem. They Created with chemicals with another chemical, adding another cost to farmers to buy another one more input and actually adding more chemicals to the native soil and, and adding to and furthering the dead zones. So, and, um, and glyphosate is used in our area as a, um, uh, for spraying through camp fallow. So every other year we follow the ground. We don't have enough rain to grow a crop every year. We grow a crop every other year. And, um, Glyphosate is an antibiotic. It kills bacteria. Right. It doesn't kill human cells because it doesn't have uh, the metabolic pathway that it disrupts. But plants have that, so it kills plants, but so do bacteria. And so I tell people, the more glyphosate you spay in your fields, the deader is your dirt. And we don't want dead dirt. We want yeah. living soil. Right. And so it's just going in the opposite direction. And, of course, the other place where a lot of bacteria live in your, is in your gut. 
Yeah, most humans, well, all humans, have more bacteria in their digestive system, making it work, than they have human cells in their body. Right. If you start disrupting that with even traces of glyphosate, you are trading or adding to the impact of poor health and more chronic disease. Right. It's so interesting that you brought that up. I just had this conversation with uh, another podcast guest the other day that, you know, people get so into this whole debate between conventional and organic agriculture and organic agriculture is the way nature intended it. It's, it's without all of the synthetic inputs. It's without all the extra stuff that the scientists want to add in. You know, that's, that is what conventional agriculture should be. And like you said, there's so many additive, there's so many changes that are being made that are having such a terrible effect, not only on our, our bodies, but our environment. And the footprint that we're leaving is horrible for generations to come. And that's why I think that, you know, for myself and for, for Fog in general, that that's, that's our mission to, to support organic, regenerative, and sustainable agriculture. That's why we're so passionate about this. Sure. And uh, thank you for doing that. Yes. You guys have been a leader throughout the country, and so it's greatly appreciated. I think that we really need to look at where we're going with this chemical experiment and how much it's costing us. And it's not only just in dollars, um, but it's also, as we mentioned, to the health of the planet and communities and to our own families. We have a really speaks volumes to why we should put more research into organic. We still have a long way to go in perfecting that system and, and substituting it for what we have now in our chemical agriculture. And yet 99% of all of the USDA research is focused on chemical agriculture. 6% of the nation's food is organic okay. it's being sold in the stores and yet 99 percent of the research is going to chemical it's like um it's like if we're looking at 100 years ago or 120 years ago and the automobile just started to appear on the roads that usca is still focusing 99 percent on uh the research on perfecting the stagecoach when we know that the automobile is already advancement from that right. we know that organic agriculture is an advancement from a chemical agriculture and, and can solve so many problems. We haven't even mentioned climate change, but right. carbon sequestration is another thing. As a farmer, we don't have the privilege to debate climate change. We have to respond to it. In our area, we are looking at for resilient crops that can um, uh, survive with the erratic climate we have now. It's not, you know, people used to talk about global warming. Well, it's not, it's more than just global just warming. Better. It's just um, extreme, well, I don't need to tell you about extreme s storms here in this country, but we've had extremes in our weather also. Right. And uh, we're having hotter summers that are starting sooner. We're looking at growing spring uh, crops, planting them in the fall and going through the winter with them. We never used to do that. So we're trying to respond to this. But organic, by its very nature, is diverse and resilient and, that, and one of the answers to um, really surviving and mediate, not meeting, but responding to climate change while we really, with organic agriculture, could start to mediate it too with the, um, the carbon sequestration that's involved with that. That's true. Yes. So, well, I know that in addition to your book, so I hear that there's a film project. Well, actually, we, we did the film first. Okay, you did the film before <laughs> the book. Okay, yeah. so. So, you know, I've never. I, yes, I, I get I, it right. <laughs> yes, I, I'm, I'm kind of a rebel in all things. And uh, so we don't usually do the. The, uh, things in order necessarily. That's okay. So I had a friend from Germany who uh, made a great film about uh, Prince Charles and his organic farm. Uh -huh. And I saw that and I said, wow, could you do that for me? And of course, I'm not really in the same category as Prince Charles, but he came to Montana. Yeah, it depends and, on who you ask. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> when he came to Montana and he said, oh yeah, we can do something with this. So we did a film called The um, Ancient Grain for Future Farming. You can Now it's on YouTube, so you can actually 
dial it into your own computer and watch it. It's about it's less than thirty or forty minutes, but it talks about the change that we made in our farm to organic agriculture and also about our whole Kamut story of ancient wheat. Kamut is actually a trademark that we use to sell our ancient wheat. And it means that it's a it's a guarantee to customers, meaning that the grain is always organically grown, that it's pure and not um, mixed with modern wheat, and that it's high in protein, high in minerals, and you have to tell the truth about it. Right. So that's um, that's what we've done. It's not really the name of the grain, but that's the whole story in, in the film. And, I, and it's a lot of fun. They did a good job with it. I was happy with it. That sounds pretty good. And you also had a conference in Italy. We did. I had an idea to um, put together the first world um, a conference on ancient wheat because a lot of people who study this uh, when when biotech is the you know the kind of the the only thing going right. that, that the scientists would get funded for and if you're going to reject that and say something as mundane as ancient wheat a lot of time you're jeopardizing your career and so i wanted to have an opportunity for people who are doing that that weren't really sucked into the gmo solve the world kind of technology that they promote um, but yet we're going back and seeing what we've missed or what we can gain from some of these heirloom varieties and ancient varieties. It would be great to bring those people from all over the world together. I worked real hard to try to have that at the Bobolov Institute in St. Petersburg, Russia. That didn't really work out, but we ended up in um, Bologna last summer, and we had about 120 people from 23 countries attend. It's also on the um, on YouTube. You can dial in and look at all of the conference talks and even the um, poster boards that people brought were interviewed and they're also on the um, on the video of the conference so if you look up that's so awesome. what are we yeah. looking up on that so that's under uh, wheat land races for modern health so I'm going to kind of direct this question towards both of you because both of your involvement in the organic industry what would you say to people that state that we can't feed the world from organic food systems well, I would say you, you need to look at the research coming out of Africa and India. We hear all the time from biotech companies that that's why they're in business to feed the world. But actually, there's been very little evidence that any of their GMO products have increased yields. Whereas research coming out of India and uh, a paper I heard actually a couple of years ago presented in a conference I was attending in um, Bangkok um, described peasant farmers um, converting to organic. You know, First of all, you need to talk about, when you're talking about feeding the world, you need to talk about who we're talking about or, or, or decide who we're talking about. Asia uh, itself contains two-thirds of the world's population. Right. If you add Africa, now you're up to three-quarters of the world's population. We in the Western industrialized ag systems of the world feed about one-third right now with all of our best chemistry and everything. That leaves two-thirds of the world being fed by peasant farmers, and, and, and mostly in their own locale. And mostly women, by the way. I just want to add that just as a little hit. Those, sure. those are the farmers in the developing world. And they're very small farms. Right. right. And uh, yeah, research has shown that if they would convert to regenerative organic principles, and mostly they're almost there, but they're adding uh, things like crop rotations and soil building aspects that some of them don't have now, that they can increase their yields two or threefold. With that kind of increase, we can feed the world. And these are people that can't afford chemicals. Where do they think the money's going to come from to pay for this kind of intensive agriculture we have in America? We can't even do it. Um, farmers can't do it here without huge government subsidies. This is a system that's artificial and is only propped up with great influxes of government money. 
And to think that we can export that to the whole world is ludicrous. And uh, organic is the, is the only answer. to So just to kind of follow on that, I mean, I, I spent a great deal of my time in India. Mm-hmm. And as an example, just as an example, what the research shows us is that this green revolution of chemicals and high inputs is we get about one or two years in the very early stages of that. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, it kills all the microbial activity in the soil. The whole environment becomes dead. And then everything starts declining very, very rapidly. Right. In these developing countries, you don't have high inputs. Like Bob's saying, they can't afford this. They can't afford irrigation. There is no irrigation. The only possible solution is regenerative, sustainable, organic agriculture, period. That's what the research shows us. I mean, we're talking about science here. This is, this is the real science. And in places like India, I've seen dung, that means cow manure, mm-hmm. piles, half as big as this building. This is a multi-story building. Five stories. Yes, exactly. Half, three stories ha- tall. They have that resource. That's the stuff that they're using. The successful organic farmers that I work with in India for the last 30 years, that's what they're using. And they're prospering and their fields are getting more and more fertile every year through proper crop rotations and putting these kind of inputs in natural available inputs that they've got right there. This is the solution for the developing world. I don't care where you are and what country, which, which continent you're on. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Well, I thank you both so much for being here um, and sharing your journey with our listeners. Um, I think that what you're doing is amazing. For those of you who have not picked up Grain by Grain, I encourage you to do so and follow Bob's journey. I think that you'll be pleasantly surprised with everything that you read. As always, I'm your host, Jessica Stipe. I'm the Education and Outreach Director for Florida Organic Growers and Consumers. If you like this episode, please log on to our website. Leave some comments. We'll be glad to forward all this information to Bob so he can see what you have to say as well. And once again, we thank you for joining. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you guys for listening to today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. As many of you already know, FOG is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization, which means we need your help to keep all of our content free to the public. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation today. We would really appreciate your support. 